anyway, that's neither here nor there. We've got sour beers we can try, which is awesome because sour beers are the best. Hello and welcome to episode three of Hoppy Night in Canada. My name is Dave, coming to you from Vancouver. And I'm John, coming in from Toronto. How are you doing today, John? Doing pretty well. It's funny given what we're going to be talking about, but uh, it's theoretically spring in Toronto and we had a snowstorm this week. So that's pretty good. Uh, we're not out of the grips of winter yet. Whereas it's actually spring in Vancouver, we've been, I think, the schedule for the it, inland, not necessarily where I live, but inland, the forecast for the rest of this week is upwards of 24. Oh, that hurts. That hurts to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's been, the weather's been great. Um, it actually feels like spring. I didn't wear a jacket <laughs> to work yesterday. That must be nice. I dug my winter coat out again this week. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice. Anyway, yeah, like I said, it's the third third episode of Hoppy Night in Canada. I've gotten some fun feedback from lots of people on the first two episodes. I got a text from my older sister who listened and said that this was this was maybe just before we put out the second episode, but we had definitely recorded it. Um, she listened to the first episode and said that... She thought it was fun, but uh, we needed to explain things a little bit better. <laughs> in episode number two, you explained some of the things that we had been inside baseball about. Yes, that's the trick. We'll just, we'll follow up each episode. We'll be the, oh, here's what we didn't explain last episode. <laughs> yeah. Our topic of discussion today, which we'll get into in a minute, is seasonals, as we are just, as John just said, we are just transitioning into spring. And seasonality of beer is one of the things that kind of is the most fun about beer. It helps to kind of break the, I was going to say monotony. It's not really monotony, but it helps, you know, relying on different beers to come out throughout the year, especially ones that are associated with different seasons, is a really nice thing. Because when you go to the BC Liquor Store or the LCBO, it's nice that you can usually expect something a little bit different each time. You know, you're always going to have the year rounds, the standbys, but uh, usually if you look you know, beyond what you would normally grab off the shelf, you can normally find something different each time you go. Yeah, totally, totally. And I feel like as craft beer is starting to establish, I, in, I, I again, I'm only speaking for Vancouver, but as craft beer is starting to really take a, a foothold in an establishment, more places are doing more and interesting seasonals. And there's, I guess, in terms of seasons, there are some beers that are kind of prescriptive for different seasons, and that makes sense because, you know, in the middle of July, you're probably not really that interested in an imperial stout. Um, and, you know, the other and the other side of that coin is that in December, maybe a Rattler is not going to be your go-to. <laughs> but that said, there, there often seems – or a lot of breweries, especially in North America, the seasonals are kind of – fast or the, the actual seasonality of beers is kind of fast and loose yeah i was looking into it a little bit before this episode and it seems like maybe this is a bit reductive but it feels like there are two categories two big categories of seasonal beers and there are so the first one i would put is ones that are traditional seasonal beers and what i mean by that is things that they're recipes that have been around for in some cases literally hundreds of years and they were made in a certain season because of the uh, resources available at that time of year or in expectation of a certain type of weather that was going to be happening in that region so this covers uh, like a lot of the german and belgian seasonal beers and then I'd put the other category as ones that are not necessarily arbitrarily seasonal, but like ones that match the feeling of a season. So by that, I'm talking about sort of bigger, darker beers for Christmas, lighter beers in summer, things like that. So I'd, I'd sort of, in my head, I don't know if that's accurate, but in my head, I've been putting them sort of in those two categories. That's a, that's a actually a really good way to look at it. Um, I hadn't, pers personally, I hadn't categorized it in that sense, but that's actually, that is a really good way to look at it. Because like you said, there are the tr like those traditional seasonals where, you know, you can only brew, you know, you can only brew certain beers, and I mean that even still exists. You can only brew fresh hop beers in the fall. That's true, actually. That's a really good example of one that that still maintains to this day. Because um, with so many other ones, I mean, well, we we can get into it in detail. I guess yeah. The question is, how do you want to how do you want to approach this? Do we go season by season and kind of cover some of the some of the beer examples for each season? 
Yeah, let's do that. And we're head as we're heading into spring, let's start with spring and we'll go all the way around the horn and finish up with win- the winter seasonals that have just passed. Sounds perfect. Cool. So, so probably the most traditional spring seasonal, I think, is the saison, which, well, actually, you know what, that's, I was going to say, saison kind of has, has two seasons, I feel like. I think they're actually brewed in the spring. They were traditionally in Belgium, brewed in the spring, and then drank in the fall during harvest. Yeah, I was going to say, I think my understanding of them was that it was that they were brewed normally in sort of late winter, early spring. And then as the as the weather got warmer, going into summer and then into the harvest in fall, like that's when they would be drank. So that's actually also an interesting point is that sometimes seasonal doesn't necessarily mean when they're when they're consumed but when they're made yeah yeah true 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 um but have that said um so maybe okay so maybe saison's not a spring seasonal in the traditional sense but i think that it has kind of become co-opted as a spring seasonal because it's light and it's dry and it's kind of crisp it be, it's great for the warming weather and of spring into summer mm-hmm we, we spoke about it a little bit. I used it as the intro uh, for the last episode. But, I mean, Saison's are one of those beers that they're pretty good year-round. Yeah, they are. But definitely in that, like, as the weather starts getting warmer and through the fall when the weather starts getting cooler, like, that's when, yeah, that, that kind of crisp, dry flavor. It's not overly hoppy. I don't know. They're just, they're, they're a really refreshing thing to have throughout this sort of extended period of the year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which I think, which I think is what kind of makes it a great spring beer, I guess. And in the traditional sense where it was the saisons were brewed for the, the workers in French on French and Belgian farms, you know, again, after a hard day's work in the fields, which I would know nothing about being a soft city <laughs> dweller. Um, it, I imagine that this, a saison, a tr- like a traditional lower alcohol saison would be, delicious and refreshing yeah absolutely yeah so that's a that is one sort of that's a good a good example of a spring or an example of a spring seasonal yeah so so the other one that that comes to mind for me and this is one that we were talking about because we were actually trying to get this as the as the beer to try um is uh, certain styles of German Bach beers. Bachs are German beers. It's sort of a larger grouping of a number of specific styles, but they're darker lagered beers. Lagering being, I 100% I'm going to get this wrong, bottom fermenting? Correct. Bottom fermenting. Hey, all right. Cold bottom fermenting beers. Most German beers are traditional, or most traditional German beers are lagered. And sort of that, I guess, Prussian region of like historically Prussian region of Germany and Czechoslovakia. Um, and that area is where lagers originally came from. Um, lagered beers are fermented colder, something around like 12 degrees, I think is the normal, is the normal lagering temperature. Whereas ales are fermented at uh, more of like a 25 degrees. Um, and the yeast is bottom fermenting, whereas ale yeast is ferments on the top. So that's the rough split of the, of ales versus lagers. And as John was saying, box are a, a fairly broad subset of German lagers. So box are another one of those that stretch across a couple of different seasons. We'll get to the winter ones a little bit later on. Um, but in spring, there are some of them that you start seeing, I mean, the big one, as far as I know, is a is a Maybach, um, spelled M-A-I-B-O-C-K. Now, I don't really know what, like, I'm a little bit unfamiliar with Bachs. They're a bit of a, a of a dark area for me as far as beers go. I know in general they are all darker lagers uh, of a sort of stronger, of a higher strength. No, well, not necessarily a higher strength. They are t- typically maltier, darker lagers. Maybach being a little bit of a or Maybach slash Maybach being a little bit of a, a difference on that in that it's a little bit lighter, but is still brewed in the, in the Bach tradition. Um, the really, the stronger one is the Doppelbach, which just translates literally to double Bach. So it is usually, you know, if, if a, or it's, it's usually brewed with, I mean, they loosely double the amount of grains and stuff like that. So it is 
the doppel box are stronger, whereas traditional box are usually on the average of sort of your four, four and a half, five, five and a half percent beer, just like most standard beers. Okay. The way I understand box, and like you, they're not necessarily in my wheelhouse. The way I understand box is that they seem to always be be associated with some sort of holiday. Yeah, and that's as far as I understood, that was the case as well. And it sort of stretched, if I'm if I understand correctly, from about Christmas to about Easter or Lent. Yeah, yeah, and so there's so you've got a Christmas box, which are probably going to be your doppel box that are bigger, stronger, heavier. Whereas you've got your May box, which come in in the spring and for Easter. Makes sense. Yeah. So box being a, a lagered style beer, um, I guess it does sort of make sense that in traditionally, because uh, box, as far as I understand, have been around for hundreds of years. And they would, to have a beer that required colder temperatures to brew, kind of makes sense that you would make it during the winter months. It would then ferment and age while it stayed cold. And then it would be ready to drink come the spring as the weather was warming up. Yeah, that definitely does make sense. That and that's and lo- logistically, like, yeah, that that is probably a reason that box are are summer se- or spring seasonals. I guess another Wikipedia tells me, um, and I actually don't necessarily associate this with a spring seasonal, but Wikipedia says lambics are a, are a, a spring seasonal. Huh. Which is fitting since we're drinking lambics tonight yes we are which i am excited about and so i wonder i mean this is pure speculation but it might i mean lambics may be a similar sort of thing in that so we'll we'll be getting into details on lambics uh later but given that they require to some degree an amount of sitting in the open and they're fermented with wild strains of yeast and bacteria that are in the air so given that that's the case it may be one of those things that required a certain temperature and a certain sort of atmosphere uh, mm-hmm. in order for the fermentation to actually start taking place. So potentially that would be another one of those that did actually have some sort of specific requirements of environment in order to be made, you know, traditionally. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, the, yeah, it's the typical Lambic is, like you said, wild fermented and left open. And I, I think that depending on where you are, like, because in Belgium, the region's for the beers are sort of pretty specialized. And so I think that depending where you are, some of some lambics are just uh, fermented open the entire fermentation period, whereas some are a short open fermentation and then sort of once the ferment fermentation starts, it's transferred to more of a controlled closed environment. Okay, interesting. So yeah. So yeah, that would that pretty much covers spring seasonals of the sort of traditional sense in terms of the non-traditional like the more the the second category that you're talking about does anything that does anything that jump to your mind as a spring seasonal of that sort of just the of a more recent advent i mean one that strikes me i feel like there there are good things and, and bad things about seasonal beer um and the seasonal the the bad parts of seasonal beer are usually very artificial the big thing that comes to mind, and I think what people associate in the spring with beer, uh, is St. Patrick's Day. And for that, they think green beer. And <laughs> it's a travesty, and no one should do it. And I know I'm supposed to be nice about things, but um, in this case, I draw a line. No one should drink. Don't drink green beer. No, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. There are good Irish styles of beer that should be cons- that could be consumed on St. Patrick's Day that should not be green. Yeah, exactly. And, then, and that's what I was going to say. Is I, I mean, I think one that is not necessarily constrained by production or by um or so it, it's not strained by production but by the time of year i feel like around saint patrick's day many people would want to seek out maybe an irish beer or an irish style beer so maybe you'll get uh, an irish red ale or a guinness or a stout you know a, a similar guinness style stout because in many places, especially in Canada, it's still going to be in the colder months of the year. So a stout will still, you know, feel pretty good. It'll do you right. Yep. So yeah, I, I, I tend to associate that with the spring, if the early spring. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That seems, that's that's perfectly fair. Yeah. But that that's the only one that comes to mind for me. And the moral is don't drink green beer. Yeah. The other thing, the, the other thing that I think of when I start thinking about spring seasonals Again, not constrained by production or anything like that, 
but is when breweries start coming out with their sort of quote unquote seasonal IPAs. Yeah, I didn't actually think of that. Because you don't see a lot of IPAs brewed in January, February, because yeah. that's people are drinking stouts, people are drinking scotch ales, people are drinking, you know, darker beers, bar- barley wines, whatever. Um, even to the point that they're drinking like a hoppier amber ale or something like that. But t- I've, it's just, just, I've seen just recently several breweries have started putting out an IPA, a seasonal IPA. Hmm. Uh, last episode, we mentioned the 187 on an undercover hop from Parallel 49, which has just been out for a few weeks now. Um, there's a couple of other local breweries that are I've, I've seen starting to put out these seasonal IPAs. Even Central City just put out a new IPA, which it's a charity IPA for good cause. It's raising money for an autism charity which is something that Central City does on a regular basis. They're partnered with an autism charity. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, ju- they just put out their I- – it's just the can just says IPA for autism. Um, but again, it's something that's coming out in the spring. And so that is something that I think of as these like, sort of the new either one-off or seasonal IPAs start showing up at the beginning of spring. That's interesting. And now that you mention it, the thing that I've noticed in Toronto actually is Imperial IPAs at the moment. There are a couple, there's the Immodest IPA, which I think comes out now that I think about it every spring uh, from Nickelbrook Brewing. Also, there's a new batch of RoboHop from Great Lakes at the LCBO. Nice. But yeah, both of those are Imperial IPAs. And I'm not sure if that's actually a seasonal thing or if that's just a timing, you know, a coincidence of timing this year. But either way, now that you mention it, I'm thinking, yeah, there are a couple of Imperial IPAs out there that are definitely limiteds. They're not year rounds, but they're out right now. Yeah. Yeah. And again, again, it just that that is just sort of that just sort of makes sense. It's now is the time when people's palates are going to be more open are going to start to be more open to the bigger hop flavor because it's kind of a refreshing IPAs I think of as more like sort of a refreshing warmer weather beer not necessarily hot hot weather like a something like a pilsner or a wheat ale which we'll get into later but I definitely don't think of an IPA as a winter beer at all oh absolutely so maybe maybe an IPA is a three season beer spring summer fall but yeah, I just I I'd, definitely I'd say that's a pretty of, fair uh it's a pretty fair description yeah, I definitely don't think of IPAs as a winter beer at all. No, and mostly because, I mean, we, we will get to it, but winter, there are already so many beers that I associate with winter that IPAs don't really come to mind. I mean, even if they are around in some places, you know, quite a few places do make a year-round IPA, but it's yeah. usually not what I'm reaching for uh, nope. in the colder months. Nope, definitely not. Yeah. Cool. That, that I would say, covers spring. Yeah. Um, should, I guess, which means that summer is our next... Yeah, let's push uh, right on to summer. Yeah, and when I think of summer, the first beer that comes to mind is Hefeweizens. Yeah. I think summer beer is, summer beer for me is usually wheat beer. Yeah. Um, which I think that, again, this is a traditional one. Your traditional sort of German German wheat beers, Hefeweizens and Weiss beers were brewed in the summer because they're light and they're refreshing and they're good ice cold on warm days yeah absolutely i mean you know find you a patio get you a wheat beer yeah yeah and if you if you ask a german person if you put a slice of lime or slice of lemon or something like that in it you're ruining it but (laughs) you know what if that's what you like you do you yeah when you order so parallel 49 one of their their sort of core seasonals i guess is the seed spitter uh, Seeds bitter wheat ale, which is a watermelon flavored wheat ale, and if you order it at certain at certain bars, possibly owned by the by per, the same people that own Parallel Forty Nine, uh, <laughs> it comes with a slice of watermelon on the glass. Interesting. Yeah. In the last couple of years, I've noticed quite a few fruit flavored wheat beers. So, yep. like you say, a lot of places, if you go and order a wheat beer, you'll get a slice of orange uh, or something like that, some sort of citrus fruit attached to the glass but yeah i think in recent years i've seen um a couple of different orange wheat beers and a raspberry wheat beer that amsterdam makes here locally amsterdam brewing in toronto cool cool yeah there's um yeah fruit flavored wheat beer is is pretty 
I, I just, I think back to almost 10 years ago, the first time I tried the raspberry wheat ale from Phillips Brewing mm-hmm. and it's still delicious. They brew it. It comes out in a bomber every, uh, every summer. They, they also make a six pack beer called wheat King, which is just a standard half of ice. And I'm assuming it's the same beer. Just one has raspberries and one doesn't, but they're both delicious. And the, yeah, the raspberry wheat was definitely the first fruit flavored Wheat beer I tried, and there are, like you said, there's lots of them now. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, wheat beer it is still that sort of quintessential thing, I think, of for a summer beer, or at least what I've thought of for a long time. The other one I would say that uh, has been sort of on the rise recently, and especially in the last couple of years, has been Rattlers. Oh, Rattlers are the best. Which, yeah, Rattlers are fantastic. And those are, those, I mean, they've been around for years, but I feel like in North America, they've been really sort of coming into their own. And I've noticed a lot of local breweries making their own. Waterloo is an immediate one that comes to mind that makes a grapefruit Rattler. And in Vancouver, obviously, there's Parallel 49's uh, Tricycle Rattler. Yeah. So for, for those who don't know, a Rattler is a beer style that was, it originated in Germany. It originated with German cyclists. I believe Radler is the German term for cyclist, but that don't don't quote me on that. Um, but it is a fifty or originally was a fifty fifty mixture of beer and sparkling lemonade, which you know similar to a British shandy. Um, and what has happened recently is that breweries have started to brew their own Radlers with either. There's, there's not actually that many that I've seen made with lemonade. A lot of them are with grapefruit juice. Yeah, I think most that I've seen have grapefruit juice, um, including, I think, one of the traditional, I want to say it's Stiegel Brewery, which might be... Yeah, Stiegel, Stiegel, uh, Stiegel Radler um, is, av- is widely available. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really good. And it is grapefruit flavored, you're right. And yeah, they're, they're the traditional beer in a Radler is has always usually a lager be being german it's usually just like a light lager slash like pilsner type beer however i have seen other i've seen breweries starting to experiment with other beers in making their rattlers interesting like what have you seen so far i've actually i've never i don't think i've seen anything that expresses to be anything other than a lager well i saw i was in actually this was last i just over a year ago now i was in calgary and I met up with a an old roommate of mine at a bar called Beer Revolution, which is kind of a, a Calgary-based craft beer bar um, with really good pizzas. So if you ever find yourself in Calgary and want a good pizza, Beer Revolution is your place to go. But uh, they had they had a beer, and I, it was from a local Calgary brewery that w- they called Rattle My Hops, and so it was a Rattler <laughs> with IPA. Okay. And it was actually pretty good because it was kind of one of those sort of citrusy IPAs. And so the, the uh, citrus nature of the hops paired reasonably well or matched up reasonably well with the grapefruit juice. Of course, it being an IPA, it didn't end up being the lower three and a half percent beer that <laughs> a Rattler usually is. And that's one of the that's another one of the kind of nice things about traditional Rattlers is that being a summer beer, you can sit on a patio and have a few of them. And they're lighter, they're lower alcohol percentage. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Rattlers that I've seen, I mean, it's normally, like you say, a lower alcohol beer. It's already only going to be like a 4% or something, but it's, you know, half the glass is fruit juice. So a lot of the canned Rattlers that you see have percentages that are something about 2.5%. Yep. So it's it's really light, it's refreshing, and like you say, it's, it's perfect for patio weather. Yep. The first Rattler I ever tried was, it was... Uh, two maybe three years ago now um i was in las vegas and just out of sort of the clear blue sky we were at the cvs on the strip buying beer and i found sam adams had a has a seasonal rather called porch rocker really and i just i grabbed a six-pack and looked at it. it's like oh that seems interesting it was amazing <laughs> it was so good unfortunately there was only about two other six packs and so between the friends the six friends six of our friends that were there and us um we drank the cvs out of porch rocker <laughs> um and it was amazing and it's being i mean sam adams seasonals are kind of scarce in vancouver mm-hmm. they have the like the frostbite or whatever their winter beer is and we can always get the Boston Lager, 
but I've never seen Porch Rocker in Vancouver, which is constantly disappointing because it is amazing. It's lemon flavored. It is the it was the first rattler I ever had, and it is lemon flavored rather than the grapefruit. Um, but it's so good. Not bad. So the one other uh, summer beer that comes to mind, and again, it's something that I think it's just my perception. I've noticed it more in recent years is the rise of session ales, especially ISAs or India session ales. Um, yeah. So yeah. And uh, it sounds like you are a fan and I am too. Um, and it comes back to what we were saying, you know, as the weather gets hotter, you may not want sort of a bigger uh, full on India pale ale, but you may still want a hoppier beer that, much like the other ones that we've been talking about, maybe lower in alcohol percentage, um, something that works well on a patio. And and session ales are exactly that. So um, ISAs or India session ales are, you can almost think of them as light IPAs. I mean, I don't know if that's unfair to say, but that's how they are in my mind. No, that's 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 pretty fair. Um, they're usually, they're traditionally, or tradi- it's hard to say traditionally because they're a kind of beer that's been made for like three years maybe. They're usually brewed with, if a, if a brewery makes an IPA and an ISA, there's a good chance that the hop bill on the ISA is going to be very similar to the IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, so the flavors are going to be similar, but the alcohol percentage will, of the ISA is going to be a lot lower because the grain bill is going to be less. Um, and I think it's a great, I think ISAs are great. Um, they are. I, I've had... I've had a little bit of a mixed bag with them from time to time, if only because, like you say, if the the hop profile remains roughly the same, but they just sort of drop the amount of grains they use in the brewing to to lower the alcohol percentage, I found some of them can can taste a bit thin or a little bit weak, especially if you it, it kind of feels like it's this imbalance of the hops and the lower amount of malt that goes into it. That's that. That's not to say, you know, I've had a lot of really good ones, but I can think of a couple that come to mind that, you know, I've had and they're fine, but it, it feels like there's this imbalance created because there isn't as much thought put into it, maybe. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, there are, you're, you're totally right. And it's kind of like the discussion we had about IPAs last episode where if the, the malt, sort of the malt character doesn't necessarily match the hop character, um, the beer feels kind of unbalanced Mm -hmm. and definitely there's a risk of that in brewing an ISA, but when they're, when they're brewed well, they are top notch. Oh, definitely. They're definitely uh, top notch. There's one, um, Muskoka brewing in Ontario makes, uh, an, an ISA called detour. And in the, for the past two years, I think they've done a, I don't exactly know the logistics of this, but I know they advertise it. And as far as I can tell, it's real. Muskoka Brewing is is out in cottage country in Ontario, um, sort of mid to northern Ontario. And they set up a dockside delivery service. So <laughs> you're sitting on the dock uh, at your cottage slash cabin, uh, and they will actually drive a boat up and drop some beer off for you. That's great. That is outstanding. Again, some days I wonder about the logistics of how that works, but that sounds like a wonderful experience. Yep, yep, yep. Cool. Uh, according to the Wikipedia article, I'm just taking another glance at it. Um, Saisons, uh, literally the French translation of season, is a, has traditionally been a or has been described as a summer seasonal beer. Again, I'm kind of like we talked about earlier. I'm tending to think that maybe Saisons are also three season beers. Similar to IPAs. I think it's one that, that may, I mean, like we were saying with that sort of split, it may be one that had a sort of more of a consideration of a specific season. And as time has gone on, I mean, one of the one of the things to recognize is that these days, you know, with very few exceptions, I mean, we'll get to fresh hot beers in a second, but with very few exceptions, you can make any type of beer all year round. Like, pretty much, it's, yeah. it's pretty much doable, but at the time when some of these styles would have been created and defined, limitations of the area may have made it more of a seasonal than it's considered today. And I think, sure. I think Saison's fall into that. Because, like, as far as I can tell, there's always a brewery in Toronto with a Saison out at any given point. But, yeah, I think traditionally thinking of it as that sort of maybe late spring into fall beer feels pretty right. Yeah. yeah. And especially, I mean, I, I guess that's part of it. Given that a lot of Saisons are bottle-conditioned or bottle-fermented. Maybe not bottle-fermented. Uh, I'm actually not sure on that one. Bottle-conditioned. Bottle it's... It's a sec- secondary fermentation, I guess, but bottle conditioned, yeah. Yeah, um, which for those that don't know means that 
when the beer, like the beer is bottled. Dave, you might actually know more about this than I do. So bottle bottle conditioning is, it, it all is about how beer is carbonated before, before consumption. Uh, bottle conditioning means that the beer as it's brewed is left with some yeast in it. And then sugar is added, uh, dextrose, so a fermentable sugar is added to the beer before as it goes into the bottle. And then the bottles are allowed to sit for at least two weeks where the yeast that's still in the beer, or in some cases there, there's a, a secondary yeast addition. So the yeast that's in the bottle will ferment the ferment the sugars that have been added and produce the carbonation in your beer. The other side of that is what's called force, uh, force carbonation, where it's just pumped full of pressurized CO2 and then injected already carbonated into the bottle or can. That's how most production breweries do it now, uh, just because the logistics of it are way easier. Mm-hmm. But a lot of a lot of specialty beers and saisons are bottle conditioned for sure. Yeah, and that would be one of the reasons why a lot of saisons that you see. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking saison Dupont, which is a, a Belgian, I believe it's Belgian saison. Yep. It comes in a champagne bottle, actually has a champagne cork. So I guess the the bottle conditioning will sometimes produce a higher amount of carbonation. Yes, makes sense. Yes. Okay, and so I, that I think is a good coverage of summer seasonals. Um, I'm really looking forward to Rattler season. Yes. The um, on the West Coast Parallel 49 obviously always has tricycle. It was re- announced recently that uh, Central City would be producing two Rattlers this year. Interesting. Um, the first being just a traditional Rattler. The second being a Rattler, a gluten-free Rattler with their hopped, hoppin' mad hopped cider. Okay. So it's going to be a mixture of this hopped cider, which is super delicious. I've had it a couple of times. It's really good. And grapefruit juice. Hmm. They just launched it. Um, I haven't tried it yet. I am quite curious to give it a try when I get a chance. It is one that I'm really looking forward to. So there's summer. Yeah. So before we move on to summer, before we move on to fall, I should say, any any trends, we covered them in spring, any trends that you uh, are not a fan of <laughs> in terms of summer seasonals? Well, uh, you know what? I that That's a, not really. I, I mean, if we're talking summer beers, I'm not a huge fan of your traditional so-called lawnmower beers, I guess, which I, I think of lawnmower beers as Kokanee, Budweiser, Canadian, you know, the kind of beer that's cold and crisp that your, that your dad probably drank when he mowed your lawn. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a huge fan of those ones, but that's because they're just not terribly good beer. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yeah. And and I mean, it seems like, you know, summer is when marketing goes into full force for your uh, BL Limes, your... uh, Chalk Top. Yeah. uh, Sort of any, like a, a lot of the sort of mass produced things. But, you know, to each their own, whatever. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's a time and a place for everything. Yeah. Okay, into fall. Now, and we've mentioned them a couple of times. As far as I'm concerned, the only fall seasonal that matters is fresh hop or wet hop pale ales and IPAs. 100% true. It's an accurate statement. Yes, those are the only fall seasonals that matter. You, the, the, on the West Coast... We've mentioned it before in previous podcasts on the West Coast. The cream of the crop is uh, Driftwood Satori Harvest, which gets released once per year. It's usually, I want to say, into October. And it is regularly considered to be one of the best beers produced in BC every year. Yeah, uh, It usually sells out within a day or two. And for good reason, because it is the best. Yeah. As a as a background for fresh hop, or you'll sometimes see them called wet hop. Uh, I've seen. I mean, there's one uh, Amsterdam makes one called Autumn Hop here, which is actually really good. So these types of beers, arguably, like we've said, are, are one of the few beers that still rely on seasonality for production. What I mean by that is hops, uh, as they're grown, get harvested once per year in the fall. The vast majority of them are dried and cold stored or put uh, turned into hop pellets, which are used for brewing year round. But uh, most of the time, if you're using whole hops, they're going to be dried and cold stored somewhere until they're ready to be used. 
wet hop or fresh hop beers use, it kind of does what it says on the tin. Um, they use hops that have been freshly harvested. So calling the wet hop as opposed to um, the, the hops being dried for storage. They tend to produce, I don't know, how, how would you describe them, Dave? The, I don't, I, they, they just, they, they use the best of the hop flavors. It's um, cause in the drying, you lose some of the, the resins that give hops their flavor. And so when you're using the wet hops, you get all of that flavor. So it's the true citrusy pininess to an extreme. And it's usually more flavorful and not more bitter. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'd say that's, that's a good way of describing it. And like I, the words that come to mind for ones that I've had in the past are like juicy or sticky. Like there's just, there's kind of a full flavor to them that that fresh hops just introduces that you don't really get from any other IPAs. Yeah. They're fresh hop, fresh hop IPAs, pale ales are, I think, I think the only fall seasonal beers that matter. And they are some of the best beers that you can find. So if you can get your hands on Satori Harvest, Hoyne Brewing in, in Victoria does one called Wolf Vine. And it's, it seems like there's more and more Steamworks had a really good one this year. There's more and more of them available, and they are delicious. Yeah, yeah, and on uh, on on the Ontario side of things, uh, they're a bit hit and miss. I'll be honest, like for all that I just sang the praises of the style, um, the ones that I've had produced in Ontario have been a bit hit and miss. The most consistent one, and the one that's actually really good and pretty widely available, is like I said, is is Amsterdam Brewing's Autumn Hop. So I definitely recommend if if you can get your hands on that, give it a try. Cool. In terms of other fall beers, other fall seasonals, the only one, only other ones that I can really think of are your pumpkin beers that come out around Thanksgiving or in Halloween. And I kind of blow hot and cold on crisp on uh, pumpkin beers. The Parallel Forty Nine does a pumpkin lager, which is pretty good. But that's, I mean, I've probably of 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 all the ones I've tried, maybe twenty percent of them I like really enjoy, and the yeah. rest are just kind of like, eh. Yeah, the, I'm, the the shine has kind of fallen off. I went through a phase where I, where I really liked them and I kind of look forward to them every year. And I feel like that for me, at least the shine has fallen off in a, in a big way. Yeah, I can think of a couple. I mean, I had an interesting one. It's called Saison du Pump. Uh, it's by Great Lakes and it's a pumpkin Saison. Yeah, see, that's that's interesting. That's that's I, I, I like I, I like the idea of that because it's a little bit more interesting than just your standard. This is an ale we brewed that has a bunch of pumpkin flavor in it. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of times, you know, like so many things that purport to be pumpkin flavored, it's actually more like pumpkin pie flavored. I mean, you get that sort of a lot of flavors of like nutmeg and cinnamon and cloves. and cloves. It's I mean, it's a pumpkin spice beer in the same way you can get pumpkin spice lattes in the fall. Exactly. And some of them are good, but I'm not. I think these days I, I tend to just bypass them. Yep. Yep. And actually, actually, as we've been talking, I've I've. A third, I guess, third fall seasonal has come to my mind. We kind of, I to, to gloss over pumpkin beers there, but a third fall seasonal has come to mind. Um, the Marzen. Yes, uh, that, I was actually going to say the the sort of beers brewed specifically for Oktoberfest um, yeah. are are definitely a lot of them are available year round, but the Marzen is one that uh, that shows up specifically for Oktoberfest. Yeah, so a Marzen is a German sort of amber lager i guess um and there's you you can see them or you see them brewed usually in the fall by some breweries in vancouver some brewers are doing it year-round but typically yeah they're a a pretty i'd say it's a pretty solid fall seasonal Mm -hmm. and so my understanding of these um definitely absolutely not something that i just read on wikipedia like an hour ago is that these are another one of those that that are sort of were born of a type of year more than they are now. So they're called a Marzen because they were originally brewed in March, I guess, and then aged specifically for Oktoberfest. So they were actually, and back in the days of of Germany being stricter about laws about what a beer actually was, I guess there was actually a window of time when it was illegal to brew them. So you had to brew them during a specific time of year, then they had to sit and wait, and then they would be drank at Oktoberfest. Oh, cool. I did not know that. So, that is That is something I learned today. There we go. So I guess that covers fall for the most part, unless there's anything that really jumps out to you that we've om- omitted. No, I mean, I, I think we cover, I mean, again, like it's, it, I feel like these days autumn is is dominated in the market by pumpkin beers, but in 
the hearts and minds of many people by fresh hop beers. And like that sort of fills a lot of the gap. And then obviously Oktoberfest filling that sort of big traditional space for, um, for German style beers. Yep. That's pretty accurate. I'd say. All right. And so then our fourth season, which we're just coming out of now is winter. Ah, yeah. In my mind, the sort of your, in my mind, winter beer is dark beer. And to me, that's stouts and porters. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, when I think winter, I think bigger, darker, really sort of malty flavors. So yeah, stouts, porters, imperial stouts. I feel like, I, again, I'm not sure if this is just my perception, but um, barley wines tend to come out around the end of the year. Uh, yep. Places yep. that make barley wines, they tend to release them near the time of year. I think just because people are looking for that sort of bigger, stronger style. Yep, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And they a lot of these beers, stouts, porters, barley wines tend to be depending on uh de- depending on where they're brewed and whatnot they often tend to be barrel aged yeah you know you'll you'll often get I'm, I'm using parallel 49 as an example a lot here today but they put every every winter they put out a both a barley wine and a an imperial and an, a russian imperial stout which is just a, a traditional stout but brewed bigger and stronger traditionally as they were to be exported across the Baltic Sea to Russian royalty. Um, I believe Catherine the Great was the first uh, Russian noble that was famous for liking stouts. Huh. I did not know that. So uh, I learned something today as well. That's that's um, something that just is just popped in my mind. And that it may be completely false, but it's one of those anecdotes that I was told one time. But uh, yeah, usually oftentimes when they're released in the winter, they will have been brewed six, eight, 12 months earlier Mm -hmm. and sat in barrels for that amount of time. Yeah. And so you'll see a lot of one comes to mind is Phillips from BC that used to do, they would release a, an Imperial stout, maybe a Russian Imperial stout. They would release a regular version and a barrel aged version at the same time. So it's the exact same recipe, but one has been aged for probably 12 months, I'm guessing in bourbon barrels. And then they release them at the same time. And it was always kind of fun to get them and, and you could try, you know, see the comparison between the two. Go side by side. Yeah, they, yeah. they do. It's, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's called the hammer. That's the um, one. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I really like a lot of winter seasonals. I don't, however, usually like the broad term of winter ales. Uh, this is interesting because I actually quite, I, I like quite a few of them uh, that so, come to mind. Winter ales. Again, it's a broad it's a broad description. Winter ales I think of as darker, usually a little bit sweet and often spiced. And in a vacuum, a lot of them are pretty good. But usually that for me, the first month of winter ales being out is such a downer to me because it spells the <laughs> end of it spells the end of Rattlers. It spells the end of wheat beers. It spells the end of fruit beers and the end of uh, fresh hop beers. And it means that we're into spicy beers. And there's just oftentimes I find that the, 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 I guess the brewer's hand is just not quite right on the spicing levels. That's pretty fair. To be fair, I mean, much like we were just talking about pumpkin beers being you know many times just it's a lot of taste of spices and it's a good point because yeah there are definitely winter ales that don't have the like so many things there there are really good ones out there there are also ones where the balance is off and it tastes like someone just dumped a packet of mulled wine spices into a beer that you're about to drink yeah it's so it's it, it can be a mixed bag there are a couple of them that i think of it's a it's an american one but uh anchor brewing's christmas beer yeah, uh, is yeah, still is good. hands down one of my favorite. And the one thing that I like about Christmas beers is a lot of them will do slight variations year on year. So Anchor will always put out a Christmas beer, but every time they do, the recipe is slightly different. Yeah, and that's that's always fun. And that's like to me, that's kind of the true definition of a seasonal. Yeah, it's not always going to be the same. It's a beer that they put out in the season, but maybe something gets tinkered with a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's one of the things that's kind of nice is that, you know, you know it's going to show up every year, but every year it's going to be just that little bit different. One of the other ones, actually, I think of, and it's a shame that we can't get it in Canada, considering it's brewed by Unibrew, but the Vintage Ale by uh, put out by Trader Joe's in the States. Yeah, Trader Joe's has their line of beers that they, they contract brew to other people, but their winter beer is called their Vintage Ale. And yeah, uh, it's actually brewed and produced by Unibrew. 
out of Quebec. And if you're if if you're ever in the states, I would recommend getting some if you're there in the winter months because it's it's always really good. Yeah, and it changes every year. Yeah, and and is a sort of it's like a Belgian it's a Belgian style dark ale. Yeah, changes every year, but it it falls into I think yeah that general category of like winter ales. But yeah, very tasty. Yeah, delicious. I love yeah I I really do enjoy winter seasonals. I, I know I was just complaining about winter ales, and it it, it does it, it it always is a little bit of, of a period of sadness for me to know that summer and fall beers are ending. But I really do love stouts. I really yeah. do love barley wines. I really love porters. Um, one of the ones that we talked about this a little bit with our, our on the first episode, but one of the big trends in, in on the West Coast recently has been milk stouts. And I love milk stouts. That extra yeah. little bit of what a milk stout is, is a tr- it's a regular stout, but added to it is lactose, which is the sugar from there, the, which is dairy sugar, essentially. Um, and it's an infermentable sugar. So the yeast can't go after it uh, to ferment it. And it adds a it adds a level of sweetness and creaminess and sort of that sort of, yeah, the creamy mouthfeel, creamy sort of smooth mouthfeel to the beer and it's delicious yeah they're they're really nice and like you say it, it seems to have been a, a a trend that's been growing in the last few years the style as far as i understand has been around for a while but it seems to be getting more popular because over the last couple of winters i feel like milk stouts have been becoming more of a standard it's been much easier to find them yeah fun fact milk stouts were originally brewed to give to nursing mothers to give them an an added nutrient or an added amount of nutrients <laughs> yeah the things we didn't know back in the day all right. Is there anything? Is there anything? Any glaring omissions for winter beers? Do you think? I think we've pretty much covered it. Just to wrap it all back up, you know, we mentioned uh, box as a you know certain types of box are are spring seasonals, but one that immediately comes to mind as a winter seasonal is an ice box, spelled E I S. So these are, as far as I understand, the strongest type of Bach beers. So again, we're talking dark lagered beers brewed at colder temperatures and. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, because I think you know more about this than I do, is that icebox are, I believe it's before fermentation, they're brought down to almost freezing to the point that the water in the unfermented beer starts to freeze at the top of the liquid. Yeah, and at that it's, point... It's, it's, after, it's after fermentation. It is after fermentation. I was completely yeah. wrong. Yeah. But yeah, but at that point, so the, the water in the beer starts to freeze. It ices over the top. At that point, it's skimmed off. And at that point, you're you know, the liquid becomes more beer and less water. So you're pulling the actual water out of it, uh, producing a much stronger beer. Yes, yes. And for those of, for those of you listening on the West Coast, the most famous or the, the most readily available and most well-known version of this is the Herminator Icebox from Vancouver Island Brewing. Yeah. Which they've been making this last, this past winter was the 30th anniversary of Herminator. Was it really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, and I think as far as I know, there's only one or two icebox that I've ever seen at the LCBO, and they are traditional German icebox. Yeah, okay. So there's the Aventinus and one other one that that is escaping my mind. So it doesn't seem to be a style, as far as I can tell, that a lot of breweries are making out here, at least ones that are readily available in the in the Greater Toronto area or at the LCBO. It's I, I have really liked Icebox uh, in the past. It's been actually a long time since I've had one. I think the last time I had it was Herminator, and that would have been five or six years ago. But um, they're well, good. Is, they're very big. They're great. They're big. They're also labor labor and time intensive, mm-hmm. which is, I think, why a lot of breweries, it's the same as the barrel programs that we were talking about a couple episodes ago. A lot of breweries just don't aren't at a point yet where they can invest that much time and and cellaring capacity or not not necessarily but like time and storage capacity to beers because the freezing takes quite a bit of time because they yeah. do it a couple of times they'll take it down they'll skim off the ice they'll go a little bit lower they'll skim off the ice again they'll go temperature lower again skim off the ice again so like it's time intensive yeah compared to brewing other beers so yeah so it makes sense that it's not necessarily the most common style but it's it's definitely well worth a try. And in terms of that scale of box from some of them being a little bit less strong, this is definitely on the strong side of that beer style. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But I think I think that pretty much wraps up winter and that and that brings us all the way back around. 
Yeah. All right. I think it's probably time to drink some beer. I think we're getting long on time as well. Yeah, I believe so. So we can probably uh, crack into them. As per usual. All right. I'm going to go get some beer and we'll drink them in just a minute. Were you surprised by the fact that there was a cork? I was not expecting that cork <laughs> at all. <laughs> yep. So we uh, we mentioned it earlier in the episode, but we are going to be covering sour beers as our tasting this week. This week, this episode. So the shared beer we got is the Lindemann's Cuvée René. It's a Goose Lambic beer. And that may require some explaining. So we've mentioned sours. Obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about sours in the first episode. This is a traditional Belgian-style sour. And as as a brief back explainer. So we mentioned earlier that Belgian sours, usually called lambics, these are beers fermented with wild yeast and bacteria. And sometimes it's done with a completely open fermentation. Sometimes it's just left open with enough time to get the yeast into the, the beer, and then it's fermented. So the beer that's produced from that process is called a lambic. Lambics are always then barrel aged. From time to time, lambics of various ages, so usually some young, uh, somewhere either months or uh, up to about a year, are blended with older batches, so usually two to three years. And that produces a goose, which is spelled G-U-E-U-Z-E. Lambics are also in that blending process, sometimes blended with fruit, and then re-fermented, or fruit is introduced earlier in the fermentation, and that produces beers like Creeks, Framboise, Pêche, uh, a couple of other types of Belgian fruit sour-ish beers. Yep. And the fruit can sometimes, like I said, produce a re-fermentation, which will remove any of the sugar, but leave the fruit flavor, as far as I understand. Yeah, it can re- it can really dry the beer out a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that little extra bit of uh, sugar, the yeast um, ferments it again, and it just ends up bone bone dry yeah because it it kicks i guess it sort of kickstarts the yeast to get any residual sugars as well yeah so yeah so yeah so we picked this one as a side note this is the first one that we've run into with our shared beer being not from canada so we we were both able to get a hold of it they briefly have it at the lcbo and uh dave you were able to get it at uh, at one of the liquor stores in vancouver i got it at fire firefly fine wines and ales <laughs> which is a great name for a liquor store and is actually a really good liquor store, too. Uh, it used to be one of my go-tos, but I no longer live as close to it as I do Legacy. And I went I went into uh, Firefly for the first time today to pick up this beer, and it's better than I remember, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, this it's probably something we're going to run into. I mean, especially with something like this, where it's a very traditional style. You know, sometimes the only thing that we're going to be able to get is is outside of Canada. So we both have a local selection, but but our shared one is actually a traditional Belgian Goose Lambic. Yes, all right. Let's drink some beer. Wow. So tart. So nice. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. really, really good. <laughs> it's got almost, there's there's almost like a lemony sort of citric acid thing going on. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, it's like you were saying, as some of the, sometimes the styles can be like, it's very dry. It's like it actually does remind me of uh, a champagne or a, or a sparkling wine of some kind in some yeah. ways. Like it has that same kind of characteristic. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's 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 really delicious. I really really like this. Yeah, and this, I mean, yeah, you know, we've we mentioned it before, but sour beers is kind of this, in some ways, is a wide open field, but a beer like this is is great because it is a sort of very traditional example of what a I was going to say real sour beer, and that's not really fair, but what, what a standard kind of traditional sour beer yeah. tastes like. Well, that's that's kind of one of the nice things about Belgian beers, like traditional Belgian style, style be- beers, is that they're fairly defined styles, and you can always get a really traditional benchmark as a result. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of a lot of North American brewer, breweries are starting to produce Belgian style beer, and if you haven't if you're not terribly familiar with the style, it's hard to know if the beer is on point. I mean, if the beer is good and you like to drink it, drink it. But it's always interesting to go back to a traditional Belgian example of the style. And Saison DuPont is one that I don't necessarily think that Saison DuPont is the best Saison in the world, but it's kind of the benchmark Mm -hmm. for Saisons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that I feel like this is a, a good benchmark for wild fermented beers. 
And it does tie into what we were talking about with seasonal beers, where the interesting part about blended beers like this is that, you know, it's it's going to be very similar, but necessarily because every blend comes from different batches, It's and because those batches are, are made with wild yeast, each one is going to be a little bit different in a way. Like there yep. is, obviously there's, there's some pretty strict controls over what the beer is, what the beer should taste like. But all the same, like there's no guarantee that it's going to be 100% the same. And there's something kind of cool about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your rating? Mm, eight and a half. All right. I'll go nine. I'll go nine out of 10. Yeah. I was, I was going to go higher and I was like, no, granted, like I've had a few uh, sour beers that I have liked more, but it's a pretty short list. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. My BC selection this year or this this episode, is a beer called Tortuga from Steel and Oak. Steel and Oak is a relatively new brewery in New Westminster. This is from their single batch oak-aged series. It's a wild ale aged in rum barrels. So, and I think that the Tortuga comes from being, being in the rum barrels and rum having the tradition with the Caribbean I think that's where the name comes from. Makes sense. I'm going to give it a try. It's a lot darker than the the Cuvée René. Hmm. It's uh it's good. It's much maltier. It's not nearly as tart. And there's actually a real strong hit of rum in there on the sort of the back end. It's hmm. very rummy i guess which is uh, it's interesting because sometimes you know for all that we've been talking about you know barrel aged beers and things like that it sometimes and and i guess it, it's very dependent on the style but sometimes it doesn't come through that strongly i would say at least yeah. has been my experience but sometimes you get yeah that really strong hit it sounds like this is one of those yep yep yeah this one comes in very very strong on the rum it's good it's not nearly as good as the uh the cuvee rene it's very good though i would give it a strong 7.25 i guess yeah <laughs> pretty good seven, seven and a quarter it's it's good it's really good i would definitely drink it again i mean i've got the rest of this bottle left they, i think they did well i think they did really well with it it's not like amazing mm-hmm. but it is good nice and what have you what have you got from ontario all right so from ontario because uh, i talked about him enough uh i got from bellwoods brewery i got the barn owl blend number three so this is a limited I, I think I talked about it in the first episode. Barn Owl is their one-off series of barrel-blended sour beers. So as the name suggests, this is the third one that they've done. Uh, each one is slightly different. So this one describes itself as a mixed fermentation farmhouse ale with Ontario peaches. It's it's technically a blend of saisons that are aged in oak barrels, and it's using a blend of Britannomyces. Which we've mentioned a couple of times, and I guess uh, to clarify, yeah, um, uh, Britannomyces is a yeast specifically used for souring beers. So we mentioned with beers like the Cuvée René that are using that that are brewed using wild fermentation. A lot of breweries that either don't have the space or consistency, or or for whatever reason, like don't want to run the risk essentially of of doing wild fermentation beers, you can get strains of yeast that are specifically uh, cultivated for their sour properties and and Britannomyces is one of the major ones for that. Yes. So yeah, there's uh so this is made just looking at their website with a house blend of Britannomyces strains, other bugs and fresh Niagara peaches. Delicious. So, I'm going to give it a shot. That is very good. It's I mean it's sweeter than the Cuvée René, which isn't surprising given the the introduction of peaches. It doesn't linger as long. With the René, it felt like it has a really long tail of, of its taste and sort of it lingers on the palate. Yep. And this one doesn't. It kind of exits surprisingly quickly. Hmm. But the, the sort of taste and a lot of the dryness is still there all up front. And with that sort of added sweetness of the, of the peaches, it's really, really nice. So I, I had, I never tried their first blend of the Barn Owl. I tried the second one and it was probably the best beer I had all year last year. Oh, wow. This one is not that, this one's still very good. It does not reach that height. Yep. But yeah, it's very nice. Uh, cool. I go eight out of 10. Right on. Yeah. Well, those are some good sour beers. Yeah. 
So, I mean, with all these, I, I can't speak to the Tortuga, but the Cuvée Rene, I imagine, is not going to linger in the LCBO long. Barn Owl never lasts long at Bellwoods, uh, and you have to go to the brewery to get it. So, if by the time you listen to this, you can still get your hands on these, I would recommend it. Yes, I would say the same. Unfortunately, the Tortuga was a special series release, like... I don't know, two months ago. So it's unlikely that people are going to be able to get their hands on that. <laughs> That's fair. But the Cuvée Rene, if you can find it at one of your better private liquor stores in Vancouver or Toronto, definitely go get it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess that wraps up this podcast. Yeah. Uh, this, this was episode three of Hoppy Night in Canada. Again, follow us on Twitter. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast service you use. Yeah, feel free to leave us a review. We actually did get a review on iTunes, which I forgot to mention. I think we actually had it before we recorded episode two. But last I checked, we had one review, and it said good job. So taking that as a win, if anyone else wants to drop us a review, we'd appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah, we're we're on Twitter. We might be on Facebook eventually, and there's always the website, www.hoppynight.ca. That is us. Cool. Until next time, John. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Cheers.